is Monday, July 3rd, 2017. Time for episode 11 of the Barnhart Podcast. Tomorrow is the 241st anniversary of the American independence from Britain, or as some like to call it, the original Brexit. Let's discuss some American topics, shall we? Let's. Okay. Recently in the news, I think this weekend, Trump posted, President Trump, for those who don't recognize that name, President Trump posted a, a Twitter clip of himself from WWE Wrestling, body slamming CNN. Is this farce one of the stages of death? Um, I would have to say yes. <laughs> um, you know, we, there's with the reportage this week in, in the Catholic blogosphere about Cardinal Pell and, you know, charges being brought against him for um, sexually assaulting boys. There's been a lot of discussion about the dynamics of tribalism and um, people who are just so locked into a binary, my team, the other team, anybody who's on, um, who's on my team must be, a, must be beyond reproach and must be defended. And, you know, when I saw this Trump thing, now, you know, I was the person, I was, or one of the original people who pointed out that, um, who brought forth the word kayfabe, which is the professional wrestling term, and and assigned it to all of the run-up to the election. And yes, I was, uh, once again, I'll fully admit, I was completely wrong. I thought that there was no way that that uh, the Clinton machine and the just the Soros machine in general, the deep state, would allow Trump to uh, to get into office in any way. I was completely wrong on that. But um, this notion of applying the dynamics of professional wrestling to what we see in in modern national level politics, such as it is, um, the fakeness of it, the fact that they're all in cahoots with each other, the fact that it's just a huge uh, money making racket, and that it is what these people are doing is engaging in what's basically entertainment. They're going out and they're they're they are showing fake antagonism and so forth and trying to delude the masses into believing that there still there still is representative that they're still represented in any sort of honest way by these people and i mean at this point if you if you don't understand the fact that Democrat, Republican, it's all the same damn thing. They're all in cahoots together. They all have basically the same agenda. Um, and all this antagonism that you see is is purely spectacle. And it's basically for entertainment. And then you have all of the, the cable news and stuff like that, which is the vector for this entertainment. If you, if you can't see that and you can't understand that by now, well, I'm sorry, but I just I just can't even waste any more time trying to pound something that's so so blatantly obvious into into anyone's mind. It's just a waste of time at that point. So, you know, I I brought forth this word kayfabe and explained what it meant, explained it came from professional wrestling. And I promise I had no idea when I first did that, that Trump had literally been in professional wrestling. And I think this was all in like 2007. And he was, he got involved with Vince McMahon, who is, who his wife, Vince, Vince McMahon is the head, is the president of WWE wrestling. He's a billionaire. Um, his wife, Linda McMahon has run for Congress in, I believe, Connecticut. So, I mean, the, the connection between professional wrestling and, and politics 
Artie is there in terms of the McMahons, Vince and I can't remember what his wife's name is, Linda, Linda, Vince and Linda McMahon. I think that they very clearly understand that it's that national level politics and professional wrestling are an incredibly similar dynamic. I had no idea that Trump had been involved with these people and had been a character in a WWE WrestleMania story arc and all of this. And the first time I pulled up the the video of Trump at, um, I think it was WrestleMania, body slamming, I, I think it's Vince McMahon himself that he body slams. I, I was, my jaw was on the ground. I, I had, I had no idea about this. And so, you know, I posted this and it kind of got, got around and got into the consciousness a little bit, especially, you know, in terms of what my audience is, if you want to call it alt-right, tea party-ish, whatever you want to call my audience, and obviously trad Catholics, and just showing people this and saying, look at what's going on here. Now, um, for the past 24, 36 hours, what's been the top headline on Drudge? Trump himself has now taken that clip of himself uh, body slamming Vince McMahon from 10 years ago at WWE WrestleMania. He has had somebody Photoshop onto Vince McMahon's head a little thing, a little CNN logo. And so it's, it's what it now becomes is Trump, quote unquote, body slamming CNN. And he's posting this on Twitter. And... Uh, you know, when I first saw it, my first thought wasn't, oh, look, I'm, I'm vindicated and look at now even Trump himself is is embracing and acknowledging his professional wrestling uh, activities and so forth. It wasn't even that. The first thing when I saw that that came to my mind were the rows and rows and rows and rows of gravestones in these cemeteries in Europe um, you know, from World War One and World War II, um, all of the dead from Korea, all of the dead from Vietnam, all of those men who died for the United States of America, and to now have even the you know, super nerd opened the show by saying we're coming up on the 241st anniversary of American independence. I believe that America ceased to exist probably in 2008. Um, and I think that history, you know, decades or centuries hence, will look back and say that America really lasted for about 232, 233 years. Um, I think we are now very much in a post-American paradigm. Um, but that's setting, as aside, we appro- that's setting aside the people who believe that American independence stopped in uh, 1913 with the uh, creation of the Federal Reserve, which was just a form of colonization by European bankers. But we'll go on. Well said. Well said. And that's that's maybe that's next week's episode of the Barnhart podcast. But well said, super nerd. I mean, th- these things will be debated for a very, very long time. But just as we're approaching the day of July 4th, and July 4th is, is so ingrained in, in an ethnically Americans, an ethnic American's consciousness, um, j- just seeing, seeing the, the, the level of farce that, that this is all descended into, and that you have this man, Trump, who's, who's doing things like this so utterly, completely devoid of any sense of dignity or decorum 
or class or or gravitas and uh, you know i'm there's people out there i've already seen it who are people who are on on the right super conservative saying yeah go trump he's showing them wow this is fantastic and i just i just shake my head you know to critique trump and to critique this this just awful awful behavior and just dragging everything down into the literal gutter like this dishonoring everything that's come before dishonoring the the entire notion of of just government turning the whole thing into a farce when how many men have fought and died for the country which which trump you know, let's leave my thesis of 232 years behind. Let's just for the sake of argument say Trump is the, ch- the chief executive of, of the extant United States of America. Can, can you not show any more respect or class than this? And and show respect for the government which has waged war and that so many men have died for. And to make this critique of Trump is not to somehow say, well, I would prefer Hillary Clinton. This this notion that people have of this, this binary choice that if you say anything against Trump, then that must mean you're a Hillary Clinton fan. Are you crazy? I'm one of the only people. I'm one of the only people in the entire world who is openly, repeatedly, in writing and verbally on the internet, openly called for the arrest trial for crimes against peace and crimes against humanity and of Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and upon conviction they should be offered the sacraments and then put against a wall and shot they should be executed if you're going to make the argument that me looking at this behavior of this bore Trump B O O R it, it, that that somehow makes me some sort of a Hillary Clinton fan. You're just you're just dishonest. You are fundamentally dishonest, and I will not permit this game to be played. What what in the hell is this man doing? You're coming off of the usurpation of the of the United States by this Obama Clinton Soros machine. Eight years of catastrophic destruction staring down the barrel of utter financial calamity due first and foremost to this healthcare paradigm, which he clearly knows nothing about, has no intention of fixing, um, a cost curve that is parabolically out of control and is going to literally consume the entire economy. Nothing's being done about this. You've got, you've got a world in which the Obama-Clinton-Soros machine has created a new Islamic caliphate, set up a beachhead at Libya, destabilized the entire, uh, the entire Musloid territory, and is actively facilitating the importation of an, an invasion force into Europe with this with the sole intention of utterly destroying Europe and and western christian culture you have dis- you have these people have dissolved the border with mexico um steps are being taken there i will concede the point there 
but not nearly enough, not nearly enough. This man, if we take it that he is, in fact, the chief executive of an extant United States of America, this man should be working 18 hours a day and spend another two hours a day on his knees in prayer, begging God for help in all of this. And what is he doing? What is he doing? Apparently, he's sitting around watching cable news, engaging in these pissing matches with with CNN and, and Mika Brzezinski. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You have nothing better to do than to engage in a pissing match with that with that airheaded woman. Are, are, this is this is incomprehensible. And you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I made the point that Obama, during his whole tenure, Obama was a puppet. He would go upstairs and he would watch ESPN all day. And the proof is in the pudding because he would go and he would do things like fill out an NCAA bracket or, you know, do interviews about college football or whatever. The most intelligent Barack Obama ever sounded, ever, the only time he could speak extemporaneously with any competence or intelligence is when he was talking about sports. It was clear, it was obvious that he knew what he was talking about and he spent a tremendous amount of time, um, you know, watching sports, thinking about sports, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, if we're going to critique that, why, why is it somehow now because of this tribalism that we can't say, what the hell is Donald Trump doing watching, watching cable news, which we all know and agree is entertainment, it's, it is fake news. Stop, okay, what should Donald Trump be doing? Donald Trump should be doing things like recording a daily, very short video himself in which he gives a summary in as much as he can of what he did that day. I mean, something that's five to seven minutes long. Here's here's what we worked on today. There were some I had to have some meetings that I can't discuss, obviously, for national security reasons. But we worked on this, this, this and this. Okay, why isn't Donald Trump recording short instructional videos about, okay, here's the problems that we're facing. Today, let's talk about the out-of-control parabolic increase or exponential increase in health service costs and what this is doing and how we go about fixing this. Let me record an, an instructional video about health insurance and let me explain why health insurance is destroying our health delivery system, why this is all messed up and wrong and what we need to do to fix this, walk this back, et cetera, et cetera. I've heard why it said isn't that he one doing the, that? I've heard it said that one of the reasons the media is so mad at him is that because he uses Twitter to just completely go around them and straight to the people. But is Twitter really the right vehicle for this? It's you know people with the short enough attention spans of, of a gnat uh, that's about what Twitter is for, 140 characters. No, right, exactly. 140 characters, even if you're doing a multiple tweets in six, I mean, it doesn't work. All it is is it's it's a narcissistic platform for basically people to try to be, be snarky and engage in just useless pissing matches. There's no intelligent exchange of ideas going on on a platform where you're limited to 140 characters. This, really, is, this is absolutely ridiculous. If he really wanted to cut the media out of it and go straight to the American people, yeah, tweet that you just released a video or an, a blog essay 
The, the media is not going to get in the way of that either. And you can lay out fully cogent, explained, rational articles and, yep. and sidestep the media filter that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've discussed this. I don't know if I've ever discussed this on a podcast, but I've discussed it before. My touchstone on all of this and what actually um, was kind of my indirect inspiration to, to start doing the videos that I did. I'm done doing um, doing videos videos now. I'll just do audio from, from here forward. But why I started doing the videos that I did, that inspiration was actually Ross Perot who, you know, let's leave aside for a second the fact that, yes, he he enabled the Clintons to ascend to power. And looking back, it's just awful. But but I remember in 92, I watched every one of those 30 minute and they were it was he bought the the airtime. So I guess you would call them infomercials. But those 30 minute instructional presentations that he would give on economics I watched every single one of those in 1992. I think I was 15 years old. They were understandable. They were helpful. They were informative. They were intelligent. And why in the world? I mean, now he was using he was using physical uh, charts mounted on big pieces of of cardboard, basically. And he would flip down to each chart. Yeah. Now we have, look at the PowerPoint that we have, and you could, you could use animation and so forth to really help people understand and, and explain these economic dynamics. And these things can be explained relatively easily because most of them are a function of arithmetic or very simple algebra, very simple algebra, when you, when you just get down to the brass tacks. Why isn't Trump doing this? And then You know, while we're talking about fantasy land and things that will never happen, if if it were me, if if the magic wand was waved and I was crowned Holy Roman Emperor or whatever you want to call it, Supreme Allied Commander of the North American Continent, Supreme Allied Commander, (laughs) what I would do is I would I would get you know a group of of trads in clergy, a choir. And every morning at 5.30 or 6 a.m., there would be there would be mass. There would be sung mass every morning. This would be done privately, and it would be broadcast privately, and there it would be every single day. You, the people would see the leader going to mass and beginning the day with the holy sacrifice of the mass every single day and the people would be invited to you know attach themselves pray for the leader etc cetera, etc cetera. uh of course <laughs> i mean that's that would require supernatural that would require the triumph of the immaculate heart at that point for something like that to happen but i'm just saying i'm just saying if you have all this power and you can do whatever you want first of all you use the power of media the fact that it's wide open now to get information out to people and help people understand what's going on and then secondly of course it's a, it's a tremendous tremendous means of bringing people together at the foot of the cross, at Calvary, how could how could a nation not be strengthened and edified by seeing its leader every beginning the day, every single day, on his knees in prayer at the foot of the cross? There's no way that that could not be helpful. So, um, and I did make a note in my show notes today. Um, I got an email from someone. It's a really good point, and it, it uh, kind of feeds into all of this. Is we need to have 
a mass or masses. We need to do another little mass campaign for the reversion of Mike Pence. So we've had masses said for we've done Melania and we've done um, we've done Ivanka and her family because, of course, she apostatized to Judaism and then. Jared Kushner and the kids, they're all Jews and they need to they need to convert and enter the church. And we've had masses said for that. Someone pointed out to me, and they're absolutely right, we need to have masses said for the reversion of Mike Pence, who is baptized and confirmed Catholic and has left and gone to, I think, some sort of a super fun rock band church, which is so typical. We need to get get masses said for Pence. So if anyone, any priest out there listening and you have some open slots, Send an email to podcast at barnhart.biz and let us know, and we will post the date and time of masses said for the version of Mike Pence and family, presumably. And um, we'll get that posted on the blog so that people can attach themselves to that, the intention of that mass. Well, just in general, too, all, all leaders, if they're not uh, publicly proclaiming and acknowledging that, that their authority comes from God— and that they rule in his uh, in his stead. Uh, we need to pray for the leaders to recognize from whence their authority comes. And even if you are fortunate enough to live in Poland, pray for your leaders to not get shot. I mean, they, yeah. the, the Polish should probably have the closest right now to to actually. Um, I think didn't they actually consecrate Poland to the Sacred Heart? Um, yes. And of course, the British, the Polish Prime Minister, her son, is a priest who says the traditional Latin Mass. So yeah, yeah pray pray that those people don't don't meet a plane crash. Indeed, indeed. It's not like it in, hasn't happened heavy, recently to the Polish. That's exactly right. It happened with, within the last 15 years, didn't it? Yes. Yep. <laughs> that's, a, that's a topic for conspiracy as well. Let's, let's, yeah. let's not go there. Yeah. Uh, on the topic of, of, of wrestlers and politics, I, I, I'm surprised I haven't uh, decided to, or thought to Google this before. But while you're talking about it, I, I did a search for professional wrestlers and politics. And there are a few articles talking about the top 10 professional wrestlers who have gone into politics. And of course, Jesse Ventura being one of the other WWE types who, who was the governor of, of Minnesota for a while. Right. Um, and, and the thing that, would, that caught my attention uh, from the, the list of articles that came back from Google is a Rolling Stone article, Why Professional Wrestling and Politics Mix. I haven't read it yet, uh-huh. but it's like, um, yeah, even, okay. even the, uh, the dope-smoking uh, rock music types can figure this one out. That's right. It's pretty obvious that it's really, really close to being the same thing. The, the dynamics, the, the Venn diagram on professional wrestling and national level politics overlaps to an enormous, enormous degree. I've heard it said that politics is just show business for ugly people. So I guess that kind of works. Yeah, ah, that's a good one. I have to remember that. <laughs> on the top of, of kayfabe and uh, CNN in uh, farce. Recently, uh, James O'Keefe of Project Veritas fame uh, had a set of expose videos about CNN. And the network executives, producers, and on-air talent, if we can call them talent, are recorded saying that they are making up fake news about Russia and Trump and simply pounding it for ratings. And that the notion of journalistic ethics is, oh, isn't that so adorable? But come on, it's all about the ratings. Has it ever happened before in history that a group of people freely funded and subsidized their enemies at the way that the conservative Americans are freely funding mainstream media? It's a good question. I can't think, I, I don't know, maybe there is some sort of a, an example of this, but it seems to me that in history, when people ended up funding their own dis- destruction, it was done through coercive means, like, you know, taxes and so forth. 
Um, I, I am hard pressed to think of a situation in history in which people voluntarily and enthusiastically funded their own enemies the way that conservative Americans are funding the enemies in the media. And, you know, I've talked about this, I've written about this over and over and over again, but I will say it again. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have any sort of a television subscription paradigm, cable, satellite, whatever, you are subsidizing every channel that is in your package. The main source of revenue for all of these cable channels is not, not, not advertising. Advertising is only 20% plus or minus of their total cash flows. The 80% of their revenues are coming from the subscription revenues from the cable companies and from the satellite companies. Every channel that is in the package that you subscribe to, even if you block it, even if you never, ever, ever watch it, you are paying for it. You are paying the salaries of these people at CNN. You are paying for the salaries of Rachel Maddow and MSNBC and Al Sharpton and all of these people. You are paying for that. You can't just say, well, I never watch it. And I'm not, I'm, oh, I boycott and I don't, I don't buy from any of the people that advertise. Oh, give me a break. Give me a break. Of course you do. Of course, you, why, you, you, don't do, you, you don't buy anything from Johnson & Johnson, ever. You don't buy anything from General Foods, ever. You don't buy anything that's produced by the Coca-Cola company, ever. Give me a break. Of course you do. You can't get away from these brands. Some of these brands are so massive that you, you simply cannot, almost can't function in the United States anymore without buying something that's produced by these companies. Oh, no, I'm doing a boycott. Yeah, even if you do, how long does it last? A few weeks, maybe a couple months, couple, three months, and then uh, it just kind of falls to the wayside? No, I'm sorry. I, that's, that's, it isn't even a valid argument. If you're paying for cable, if you're paying for satellite, you are directly paying for all of these. You're paying for the gay channel. You're paying for MTV. You're paying for VH1. You're paying for all of this crap directly. You are directly subsidizing all of this, and you can't get away from it. If you have cable or satellite in your home, it is the tabernacle of Satan and you are going to have to answer for this. This this just cannot go on. How can you possibly justify continuing to pay for this? Now, it is it is very encouraging to see that over the over the past several years as, you know, streaming content and Netflix and all that kind of stuff has gone has become more and more popular that more and more people have canceled their their cable and satellite but it, it, it's not even remotely close nobody nobody who is morally sane and anywhere on the on the political center or the political right should be able to live with themselves having that crap being pumped into their homes and then i also i think super nerd and i received a question from somebody about um you know, subscribing to Netflix and subscribing to things like this. I'm sorry, but have you seen the content 
of some of these these serials and television shows that are being produced by Netflix and so on and so forth, I got to tell you, um, I've learned well over the past several years that a huge red flag with regards to people, even people who hold themselves out as being conservative, who hold themselves out as being even, even trad Catholics, if these people watch contemporary television, and I, I can rattle off, I can rattle off names. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to do it, but there's people that I have unfortunately come in contact with over the past several years in Tradyland who sit around and are absolutely addicted to watching these television shows, many of which are pornographic, like Game of Thrones. And many of which explicitly glorify psychopathy, in which the the protagonist in these television shows is a psychopath. And the psychopath is who you're rooting for. The psychopath is who you, you empathize and feel sorry for. It's this normalization and this desensitization to psychopathy. In these television shows, I'm sorry, if you if you put a person in front of me and they're sitting around bragging about how, oh my gosh, Monday is my favorite day of the week because that's the day that all of my television shows are released. And that's the, that's the night I get to watch all my shows. People who sit around and instead of going to mass and instead of going to pray the office, would will it isn't even a choice. They'd rather sit and with their laptop on their lap watching their glorification of psychopathy television serials. And these are being delivered, a lot of them, through Netflix and these other streaming platforms. Sorry, but I don't see how you can be subscribing to those platforms either because it's just transitioning. And in a certain sense, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that platforms like Netflix and so forth are actually have more liberty to contain explicitly pornographic material precisely because it's not broadcast over the air in the way that, you know, CBS, NBC, ABC, the way that these channels are, are broadcast. That's correct. Um, they, they are completely immune to FCC broadcast regulations because they yeah, are, they're, that, not, yeah. they're not even a cable service. It's, it's something you've specifically gotten outside of the, the, the normal television paradigm. And in the case of Netflix, about 90% or more of the, the money paid to them goes to licensing content. So you may not be paying uh, the, the TV networks, per, well, directly, but, but you are. So all, all of the TV shows that, that come out of, out of syndication and, and are available for Netflix binging, oh, you are paying the okay. networks at this point. You we're paying Hollywood, and how many conservatives do Hollywood support? Uh, Netflix is, is probably one of the good, one of the best ones to talk about here because they are not unlike, say, Amazon or Hulu. They're not tied to some other big operation that that would fund them and keep them afloat, even if they don't make money. I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Netflix has actually turned a profit yet. They have no, massive I don't amounts. Think it of, has. They have massive amounts of revenue going through their system, but they're just turning around and paying all the content providers or paying uh, production groups to create their own content, which, as you pointed out, it's full of psychopathy and and um, normalization of homosexuality. And we'll get to that topic yes. a little bit later. I mean, we're, if you, not not that you should, but you, you look at the fact that uh, the, the TV awards in the last few years have been have been going more and more to the uh, internet providers, such as Amazon and, and Netflix. And the, the shows that they're putting out, they're not putting out the Andy Griffith show. I mean, th- this is stuff that is d- absolutely destructive to society. It's disgusting, and you know it wouldn't be on air for good reason, even now. 
So the only place it could come out is on, is on cable. So to, to the emailer's point, is Netflix any better than cable TV? No, not really. No. No, no, it isn't. Just, just get the hell away from all of that. If you want to watch motion pictures, I would say that there's enough, you know, you can watch the Andy Griffith show. You can, there's enough in, in the oeuvre from the early to mid 20th century, basically before the asteroid hit. I mean, that's, that's really is. We talk about that, that era from basically 65 to 68 is when just all hell broke loose. And so you can, you can pretty much draw a line in the sand. I mean, the Andy Griffith show literally went from black and white to color and Don Knotts left, if I'm not mistaken, in 1965. So call 1965 your line in the sand and just don't watch anything that was produced after 1965. Because then what you get into is the Norman Lear, all in the family all of this leftist agitprop, all of that crap is, what's, is what came out in the late 60s and early 70s. Just don't watch it. Just don't watch it. Watch the Andy Griffith show. Watch, you know, Father Knows Best, Donna Reed. That, you can find that stuff. It's, it's all out there. And, you know, buy DVDs. Watch old movies. There's a lot of old movies that are, that are free. Um, it's not the greatest quality, but you can pull them up and you can watch them. Um, there's lots of there's lots of pious movies. I mean, believe it or not, Hollywood produced some pretty darn good pious movies um, in in the especially in the 1940s. There's some there's some really good stuff there, and and the 1950s. I just watched Ben Hur not too terribly long ago. Um, and, you know, you, there's um, there's a wonderful movie about Bernadette Subaru and so on and so forth. There are things that you can watch. There are things that you can watch that are that are not just going to poison your mind and the minds of your children. Draw the line in the sand and say, no more, no more of this. I'm not going to have this tabernacle of Satan in my home just pumping this crap into into the space, infecting the space, and infecting all of our, our hearts and our souls and our minds. Just just stop. And if you are so addicted to this, if you are so weak, if you are so so sensuous and you, you can't even fast, and it, it is a fast, you can't even fast from psychopathic entertainment, psychopathic or pornographic entertainment. I mean, seriously, what, what do you expect? Why, why, how do you possibly expect that this situation is going to turn around, that God is going to suddenly start shedding his grace on all of us in this culture if you can't even stop watching psycho porn? I mean, we're not even talking about fasting from food. We're talking about fasting from, from spectacles and entertainment. Seriously? Seriously? Oh. All right. You've been warned. Don't say you haven't been warned. It is only in the silence of our souls that we will hear the voice of God. And if we cannot maintain outward silence by mortifying the appetites for information, and it is an appetite, it's not, not a mistake or, or, or a reach to call this fasting. If you cannot tolerate silence for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, there's something unbalanced. Uh, and, and certainly our modern society, and I've, I fall victim to this a lot as well, uh, they, it doesn't matter what medium it is, it's like the worst thing you can do is be silent and not consuming something, whether it's audio, whether it's visual, whether it's reading, uh, because they're not publishing good stuff to, to read anymore. 
No. It, it is, it, in, I believe you uh, wrote something on your blog a long time ago about this, uh, but the, the necessity to just be silent every once in a while and, and let your mind review just, just from a, not even a, from a spiritual perspective, just from a pure intellectual perspective, silence is necessary every once in a while just to process the things you've brought in to your mind to allow your mind to start making connections between uh, information, but also from the spiritual aspect, God's not going to shout at you. If you are drowning him out and, it's, eternity is not going to be very fun for you. Uh, you have to be silent in order to hear the voice of God, to be pliant to, to, to his advice, to, to, his, to the movements of the Spirit. I have to chuckle. Um, over the past week since I you know, posted, I made a couple of posts about Cardinal Pell, I was, I was on some um, blog, I can't remember which one it was, but there was a comment, and some woman had written that, oh, I listened to that Ann Barnhart and her podcast, and there there just wasn't a moment of silence. She kept talking and talking and talking the whole time, and she needs to learn how to be silent and, and so on and so forth. And I had to chuckle because, you know, um, Superdurned and I setting up this, this podcast and then uh, hitting the record button and sitting here in silence kind of kind of would defeat the purpose and not work so well. The other reason that made me laugh is because I'm now basically to the point where this hour and change per week that I that I am sitting here speaking in the podcast with Super Nerd, this is pretty much the only speaking that I do anymore aside from just very very superficial, you know, when you go into a grocery store and you you say hello to the checkout lady or whatever it is, you know, very, very superficial. I don't hardly speak at all anymore because it's just my life right now is, you know, stay at home, go to mass, go pray, walk around, not really socializing too terribly much. There's because there really aren't many people left for me to socialize with anymore. And that's by my free choice. That's by my free choice. So this hour a week is pretty much the only time that I'm, that I'm certainly speaking in any sort of depth. And so when I saw that comment from that lady, that just, it made me, it made me chuckle, but it's, it's absolutely true about silence and how, how incredibly important it is. Um, I've, I've mentioned before on the blog, and I think I've mentioned on the podcast, um, I was trained in the art of cattle marketing by an old timer, and he, he was an eccentric genius. He was an atheist, but he, it's one of those situations where, you know, when truth comes, it, you know, you have to look beyond sometimes the vector of where the statement of truth is coming from and realize that all truth comes from the Holy Ghost. And this this man was was instrumental in in getting me to finally cross cross that last hurdle and convert to Catholicism. And it was actually my last hurdle was in fact the Petrine primacy, as ironic as that seems now in retrospect. But it, it's absolutely true. And he explained that to me to me, indirectly in the context of how to run a feed yard. And the, the, the punchline that he gave was, look, when you ever have a group of people getting together to do anything, somebody has to be in charge. That, and that was it for me. It's like, oh, well, of course, that's absolutely right. If, if no one person is in charge, if there's no central point of leadership, 
where the buck stops and everyone can turn to, then a given paradigm will eventually devolve into into chaos. And that is actually what, even though he had no idea, and we were not discussing Catholicism or the church in any way, it was that simple statement of truth that made me understand the Petrine primacy. Another thing that he said, and he was really big on, and again, this is all before my conversion, is that he was really insistent upon the the importance and necessity of silence, and that he would say often that some of his favorite time times in his life were, for example, when he was driving enormous long distances, and you would never ever turn the radio on, never turn the radio on, because he said that that time driving in a car in silence was some of the most productive um, thinking time that he had. Um, Another example that I can give of this in my life, some of the most productive time outside of being in silence, you know, praying inside of a church or before the Blessed Sacrament exposed or whatever, aside from obviously that silence, um, the silence in life of when you're in the shower. I mean, I, I've had I've had so many ideas and and moments of understanding and putting two and two together and understanding concepts in in that silence. I mean, there's a white noise of the water in the shower, obviously, but it's a form of silence where you're just there in the shower by yourself. You're doing something like with driving, you know, you're doing something. So whatever side of your brain it is that just simple activities, repetitive activities, it it occupies that side of your brain. And then the creative thinking side of your brain is in a sense liberated to think about things and think about, you know, business paradigms, thinking about uh, anything, but especially when when you then start thinking about religious concepts and thinking about God and thinking about how these things relate and how how these things relate to your own life and so forth. You don't just think about these things when you're in the church praying the rosary or at Mass and there's the period of silence in Mass. These, these periods of silence are extremely salutary and very important, and it seems to me that the enemy, using media especially, is doing everything he can to deprive everyone of silence all the time. You have to have the TV on. You have to have some sort of distraction. It seems like people today, you know, post-Christian, post-Western people, the worst possible thing for them is just sitting in silence with somebody. I've, I've been around people for whom, you know, even if you're, you get to the point where you're friends with someone, they just, it seems like they just can't stand to be sitting with someone in silence, that it makes them extremely uncomfortable. And that's really sad. Silence, silence is very, very important. And uh, yeah, I think that's just one more benefit of getting all these media paradigms just completely out of your life. It isn't just the fact that you're subsidizing a satanic plot to destroy your soul, the souls of your children, and this entire civilization. Just, it's, it's a plot to deprive us all of silence, it seems to me. And if you try to do... Uh if you ever have the chance to try to do a multiple day silent retreat, what you'll find out is that the first day or two is essentially withdrawal. And eventually you'll hit the, hit the curve where you've done enough psychological and spiritual detoxification that all of a sudden silence makes sense. And you, you, the, the last three or four, if it's a five day or a six day retreat, the last 
three or four days fly right by and you begin to dread the end of it because you're going to have to go back to the world and have to be uh, dealing with all of the constant interruptions and chaos as opposed to just being able to quietly contemplate God. And it, it's one of those things I've, I've had the opportunity to, to do a few of them and unfortunately not enough of them over the last several years. But uh, you, you, there is definitely a hump to get over. It takes effort. But like anything worthwhile, it's going to take an effort to get there. Yeah, exactly. You you have to make an effort yourself, especially in this day and age and in this world, to make it happen. On the topic of normalization of deviant behavior that we get through the media, we got an in, a very interesting email from Mr. B. Uh, should I read that now? Yes, just read the whole thing. The whole email is fantastic. Okay. Uh, the opening paragraph was thanking us for the podcast, and then he continues. I have a question that I would love for you to address on your show. How should we behave with respect to sodomites in our family? As the culture attempts to force us to tolerate and then ratify and glorify sodomy, the appearance of sodomites within formerly wholesome family structures is becoming all too common. In my own case, my sister-in-law was married for many years to a good man. They attended a Protestant church regularly, had several lovely children, and seemed to be living a normal life. Then she went off the deep end, was diagnosed with mental illness, was suicidal for a time, got into drugs, left her husband, and then announced she was a lesbian and took up with several, uh, a succession of several female partners, the latest of whom <clears throat> she has uh, civilly married. She has since worked out most of the temporal troubles in her life, but she is still living with an openly, although not flamboyant, sodomite lifestyle with her new quote-unquote spouse. Initially, I had told my in-laws, her parents, who are ostensibly conservative Protestant Christians, that although I would tolerate the presence of my sister-in-law, under no circumstances were her lesbian partners to be invited to our family events, at which my children would be present. As it turns out, the lesbian spouse is a very nice person and seems to have provided some much-needed temporal stability to the life of my sister-in-law. Probably for that reason, in a moment of weakness, I consented to allow her to attend some family event last year. I don't even, I don't even remember which one it was. Well, as they say, if you give an inch, they take a mile. Apparently, my consent was taken as lifelong and irrevocable by my in-laws, and my in-laws continue to cordially invite the sodomite spouse to every family event, birthday parties, Christmas, and now there are even plans to rent a vacation house on the beach as one big, happy extended family. I am the That's only- great. So, so the two lesbians can be having sex with each other under the same roof with your family. I'm sorry. I just had to interject that. Go ahead, super nerd. Please continue. I am the only one left who has a problem with this. Even my wife and kids are cool with it. When I bring up the topic with anyone in the family and suggest that we put the brakes on this laissez-faire policy, I am angrily rebuked as being mean and accusing and accused of overreacting to a situation that they say really isn't causing anybody any harm. <laughs> uh, more victimless crimes here. Yeah. The argument goes, the sodomite duo knows full well that none of us approve of their lifestyle, so it need never be openly mentioned again. As for my deep concerns about the deleterious effects on my children of high school age to have a sodomite couple heartily welcomed into what was formerly a very wholesome Christian extended family atmosphere, I am told that the children are strong in their faith, which is true. I'm I'm reading the email here. Um, They know that sodomy is wrong, which is true. They already see sodomy all around them in culture at large, it's true, and thus will be impervious to the effects of this family exposure. 
is this it is this excuse me it is this final conclusion which i find so completely naive and false i think your discussion of the situations like mine along with very practical advice on how to behave in these all too real and all too common situations would be of tremendous benefit to me and a large segment of your audience thanks again for your show in christ mr b Oh, where do you even start with this? Um, I think to a certain extent, if you were listening to this, he answered his own question. Um, Your children and your wife are completely cool with the the two female sodomites. And they angrily rebuke you when you make any objection to any of this. So I'm sorry, but the proposition that your children's faith in Christ is strong. Um, I'm, I don't see how you can make that argument. Sodomy is a sin that cries out to heaven for God's vengeance. These people are doing something that is so spectacularly vile that our Lord told St. Catherine of Siena, a doctor of the church, in an in appearance he made to her, that the sins of Sodom make him, in his human nature, nauseous. They make him sick and feel nauseated. They are that vile. These people are just nosediving into hell. If they die outside of the church, and they die unrepentant of this, they will spend all of eternity in hell. It will never, ever, ever end. They will never see God, and they will be in eternal torment. And what's more, when they are in hell, they will be close to each other and close to all of the other people that they have engaged in these horrific sins with. And they will spend all of eternity raging at each other for causing and facilitating the sin, which then led to their eternal damnation, which they f- will have freely chosen, but which they were, they were ratified and pushed into. If you don't make it, if your family members do not make it to the beatific vision, God forbid, and your family members end up in hell, guess what? Those sodomites that your family ratified and turned a blind eye to, they will spend eternity raging at them, too. That, that is the reality of the situation. So when you say, oh, my, my family's uh, strong in their Christian faith, and they know that sodomy is wrong, uh, no, no. What you have just said in your email completely and totally refutes those two statements. If they are so unsound in their Christian faith that they don't even know and understand that sodomy, one of the four sins that cries out to heaven for God's vengeance, is wrong and should not be tolerated and and does nothing but lead people into hell, I, the, the notion that you can make the argument that their Christian faith is strong is is just laughable. It's laughable. Now, I have an entire page full of notes here on this, and I'm going to try to go through it pretty quick. 
I want to start with um, um, an actually an example from literature that I've written about before. It comes from the novel *Brideshead Revisited*, and it, it has to do with the character character of Beryl Muspratt, who is the the wife of the eldest son of this family. And um, long story short, she is she is considered and painted in the novel to be this stodgy middle class uh, Catholic woman. And long story short, uh, she will not receive into her home um, her sister-in-law, who, who is divorced, who is civilly divorced, and is shacking up with the protagonist of the novel. So it's, it's Julia and Charles. Julia is the daughter. Charles is the protagonist of the novel who Julia is shacking up with after having abandoned her husband, um, who she is validly married to. Um, and and what comes through uh, Bridie, the, the eldest brother of the family, is, well, of course, Beryl, his wife, would never, ever consent to receiving you because it's not that she, it's not that Beryl doesn't care about her sister-in-law. It is the fact that up until just not too long ago, everybody understood perfectly that you cannot ratify people. You cannot give your assent by silence or your assent by even receiving people into your home who are committing terrible, grave sins against the Sixth Commandment. In the case of Brideshead Revisited, Julia and Charles are committing adultery and, and fornication. Um, in the case of this person who's emailed in, we're talking about people who are committing the, the sin of sodomy. And which is which is also, you know, a form of fornication. Um, you cannot ratify these people in this. You have to stand fast. You have to provide the example to your children and show them, no, this cannot be accepted. This cannot be tolerated. We will pray. We will get down on our knees and we will pray a decade of the rosary for these people every single night after dinner. But we are not bringing them into our home. Another point I want to make about sodomites, I've learned this lesson well, sodomites have enormous demonic attachment. When people start committing sins of Sodom, it is a demon magnet. And these people have legions and retinues of demons that, that just swarm around them at all times. Um, you bring these people into your home, into the physical space where you are. You are exposing your children to this preternatural infestation. And, and heaven only knows what the potential consequences of this could be. How, why would you do that? Why would you risk that? Um, uh, I found a quote from Aquinas, and St. Thomas Aquinas said, to know whom we should avoid is a great means of saving our souls. You know, it, I've learned over the past several years that when we... At the end of the Lord's Prayer, when we say, but deliver us from evil, um, we're asking God to, to separate us from people that in our lives, potentially, that are evil. And even if we don't know it, even if we don't know, we're begging God, 
every day, at every mass, every decade of the rosary, every time we say the Our Father, we're ending with that, said libera nos malo, but deliver us from evil. And that includes, it seems to me, most especially evil, wicked people, because evil, wicked people are the primary vector that the enemy uses to scandalize us and to drag us into hell. It isn't demonic possession. It isn't, uh, you know, direct manifestations of demons. That actually is minimally effective. The way that people get scandalized and they lose their faith and they start, they start embracing sin and they start, quote unquote, tolerating sin, the vector that that comes by is almost always through other human beings, okay? There's, you there's have the to, phrase that you are the average of the five people with whom you spend the most time. Ah, yeah, that's super nerd mentioned that to me um, a while back. And that that really is stuck in my head. And, you know, stop and think. And, and when in this contemporary culture, when we say the five people you spend the most time with, guys, that includes people online. So if you're constantly online and, you know, Facebooking with someone who you're never actually with, but you spend a, a considerable amount of time interacting with someone, for example, on Facebook, yada, yada, yada. It isn't just people who you live with or people that you work with, although that that does uh, contribute to it, too. But it also includes people on these social medias and online that you're spending a tremendous amount of time with. Go down the line and make an inventory. And I did this and, uh, and I compared it to years past. And then I took all of these phases in my life and said, okay, who are these five people that I'm spending the most time with? And then I took an inventory of where I was and where my spiritual health was when I had these, these lists of five. And it was, it was, clear as a bell. It was clear as a bell when the top five people that I was spending the most time with and interacting the most were bad people. I was, I was considerably less good or just, let's just say it, I was bad too. And then as, as a company improved, then I would improve spiritually. And then when it would go back down the other side and unbeknownst to me, but it was true that there were sodomites around me, even though I didn't know it. Okay. Spiritual health went back down in the gutter. And then when I cut ties with when, once I found out people were sodomites and I cut ties, I came back up out of it. And hopefully now I, I please God, please God that I'm back on the upward slope, you know, and I'm hopefully you know, they say you're either moving towards God or away from God. There's basically no sideways because sideways is backwards. So please, God, please, God, I hope I'm moving more towards God now and not moving away from God. But if you take these inventories of these five people that you spend the most time with, you can see very, very clearly, very, very clearly how this affects you and um, your spiritual life. Um uh, another point that I have here in my notes is that, guys, silence equals assent. Silence equals assent. You get this business of effeminately turning a blind eye to this stuff and telling yourself, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to be Switzerland. I'm going to remain neutral. I'm just not going to start anything. No, I'm sorry. You're, you're kidding yourself. Silence equals assent. Um, another quote, and I think this is Aquinas too, if we wish to know a man's moral habits, look at his friends. 
Look at his friends. And if you're turning a blind eye to friends, family members, associates who are sodomites, who are in mortal sin of any kind. And this, I mean, what's so sad now is that it isn't just a question of sodomy anymore. It's people who are committing adultery because they're on their second or third quote unquote marriage. Um, people who have gotten divorced, which means that spouses have abandoned each other and now they're dating again and have a girlfriend. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's adultery. That person is married. They're married. And you cannot be dating someone else when you're married. Divorce is a fiction. That's what this entire war in the Vatican is about. Sister Lucia said it. The final battle will be because will be on the topic of marriage and the family. That's why Bergoglio and all of these these evil sodomite Freemason wretches are going after this. Okay, and we're just we're just slouching towards Gomorrah, saying, well, oh, well, everybody's divorced. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm not going to say anything to my brother because, well, whatever. I'm just being hypothetical there. Oh, I can't say anything to my brother because he's divorced and he's dating this chick. I mean, I really can't say anything. Uh, silence equals assent, and you will answer for it. Um, you, I would also you look like— at the foundations of Protestantism, that that all started over the over the topic of marriage as well, especially in the British world. That King Henry VIII wanted to put away his wife and have another one. Rome said no. He made his own church, and there were elements of that within uh, the German Protestant movement as well. Well, certainly, and with Luther being first and foremost among them, Luther was a priest monk who was having sex with a nun, Katharina von Bora. The entire roots of the entire Lutheran revolt is the fact that Luther, a priest, wanted to have sex. That, that's all of it. All of it revolves around that, okay? And that's, you read some of Luther's quotes, and they're about sex, and it's, it's, it's despicable. It is absolutely despicable. Luther said that our Lord had sex with the woman at the well, with Mary Magdalene. Yeah, that's your boy. For, that's your boy. That's your boy Luther saying that our Lord had sex with Mary Magdalene, the woman at the well, and somebody else. I mean, it's unbelievable. There's a quote from Luther that says, um, if, the, if the wife isn't willing, let the maid come. I mean, it, it's just, it, the man was an absolutely despicable human being, and his entire theology, such as it was, revolved not around corruption in Rome. It revolved around his own mortal, moral corruption and the fact that he wanted to have sex. And not just sex, but sex with a nun. It's just despicable. Um, let's see, what's my next point? Oh, to the, to the writer of the email, has it ever occurred to you that you might literally be the only person on the surface of this planet who loves those two sodomite women enough to shame them? Stop and think about that. You might be the only person who cares enough about them. Now, this is genuine charity, okay? It isn't, it isn't philios in the sense of buddy-buddy friendship and, you know, how, how it is that we love the people that we love, for lack of a better word. It's easy to love your friends. It's easy to love people that you like. What we're talking about here is this agape, this, this true charity, here you have these two sodomite women for the love of God, literally for the love of God, who created these two women, who loves them infinitely, who went to Calvary and died for them. And 
is just wants, wants so much for these women to be in heaven with him forever. For, for the love of God, do you love these women enough to tell them the truth and tell them that what they are doing is grave mortal sin, and if they die unrepentant of this, that they will go to hell for all eternity? Apparently, nobody else loves them enough to tell them this. They certainly don't love each other in any, in any realistic way because they're engaging in these acts with each other. They're murdering each other every single day. And this all goes back, obviously, um, to diabolical narcissism, because as, as we've isolated with our research on diabolical narcissism, that is the condition from which all sexual perversion springs. Diabolical narcissism is the free choice to not love, okay? It's, and so what these women are doing is they don't love each other. They, they have objectified each other. Um, they provide presumably some sort of physical, sensual pleasure for each other. And they are also providing each other presumably with narcissistic supply. Um, that, that is not love on any level. In fact, it's, it is a manifestation of contempt and hatred and the objectification of the other person. Um, how will these sodomites ever correct if no one ever confronts or shames them in any way? How do we expect any of these people to turn their back on their despicable sins unless they are shamed and corrected? If we keep going on like this and turning a blind eye to this and not saying anything, not shunning them from company, not making it clear that as long as they are wallowing in this grave, horrific sin, that they are not welcome to come around and be in decent Christian company. How, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. How do you expect these people to self-correct? What, what is going to be the impetus for that? What is going to be the impetus for that? If there's no concrete consequence out there in the world for them freely choosing to engage in these horrific sins. I mean, obviously we've taken the criminal penalty off the table, and this is why sodomy should be recriminalized. It, it is a mercy to people. It's something that gets people to stop, stop doing this. Stop killing yourself. Stop sending yourself to hell. It's medicinal. It's salutary. It is good for the person. Um, and another really important point is, quote unquote, good people. Now, nobody is good. I mean, that's that's a different that's a different topic, but just for the sake of simple argument, let's use the term good people, okay? Good people who associate with bad people potentially draw other good people into the same web by, quote-unquote, recommending the bad. This is why it is extremely important that if you are a person who is genuinely trying to be good, to love God, to follow love and follow his law, you cannot associate with bad people. And if you, if you discover that you're associating with bad people, you have to extract yourself from that situation as soon as possible. Because if you are a genuinely, if you are trying to be a good person, let's put it that way, what that tends to do is good people tend to attract other good people. Bad people tend to attract other bad people. That's why, you know, fags and, and psychopathic women, 
um, they tend to they tend to clump together. And and uh, if you if you know a bad woman in this day and age in post Christian post Western society, bad women will oftentimes end up being surrounded by a circle of faggots because bad people flock together. If you are a good person and you are associating with bad people. And this comes actually from one of the sermons of St. Alphonsus Liguori, which I, I cannot recommend enough. I mean, the, the sermons of St. Alphonsus should be mandatory reading. And he has a sermon on friendship and these dynamics. If you are a genuinely good person, trying to love God, trying to get to heaven yourself, um, and you, you will attract other good people. If you are keeping company with bad people, what you risk doing is drawing other good people into that scandal and into that web. So maybe you might survive it. But what about this other person who is a good person that you attracted into this circle who then didn't survive it and fell into um, and fell into this this bad life of immorality and so forth. But their initial attraction into that was the fact that you were there. And they said, well, here's here's a good person. I like that person. This person seems to be good. Oh, but then by association, here are all these, for example, sodomites or just bad psychopathic people. No, you, you have to you have to get away from these people and you cannot associate with them. You have to abstain abstain from familiar intercourse. You can't be voluntarily socializing with these people. You can't be inviting them into your home. You can't be um, attending social functions where you are both present. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you have to draw the line, especially where there are children involved. It's better to be alone. It is better to be alone than to associate with bad people. And be in the company of bad people. No socializing with bad people. And um, the the proof text of this, if you, I mean, it's very simple. It's Matthew 10. Just go read Matthew 10, and let me pull it up. It's beginning at about verse 34, and I'm reading from the Douay Reims here. Um, our Lord says, Do not think that I came to send peace upon the earth. I came not to send peace but the sword. For I came to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not up his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. Okay, this, this is so important. God is first. The first commandment is not a joke. God is, is before family. God is before spouses. God is even before your children. And the reason why this works is because if you put God first, then everything that flows out of that with respect to all of your other family members will be right ordered. Okay, you're not if you put God first, you're not. I promise you, you are never going to hurt your spouse because of this. You are never going to hurt your children because of this. Okay, you have to put God first. Sadly, in life. It comes to pass, such as we're seeing in this situation, where because of fallen human nature and because of the, the post-Christian calamity that we find ourselves in in these dark days, 
you are going to have members of your family that this dynamic is going to have to come into play with, and you're going to have to make the decision. What is first? Is it, is it appeasing my family members or is it God? If you do not pick God, go back and read what I just read. I mean, you are not worthy of me. That's what he says. You're not going to make it. You are, what you're essentially doing is you're committing idolatry and you are, you're worshiping um, other human beings, even if they are your parents, your siblings, or your own children. You are worshiping them and not worshiping God. God has to be first, and if you do this, then everything that flows out of that will be right-ordered, and all of your relationships with your family members will be right-ordered in that sense. And if that means that that you're going to have to cut yourself off from some of these people, then you're going to have to cut yourself off from some of these people. You have to get yourself to heaven first and foremost. You have to make sure that you do not freely choose to reject God. And you are, you have been given um, custody by God of your children, of these little people. You will be held directly responsible for your children and for their spiritual well being if you put um, appeasing a bunch of sodomites that are in your family over the spiritual well-being of your children. And remember what the stakes are there. The stakes are eternity, eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. You you will answer for that and, and your blood will be on their hands. Um, and so those are the last of my notes. Super Nerd, can you think of anything that you want to toss in here? Well, you brought up the, the book Brideshead Revisited and the the uh, shaming that, that Beryl does of uh, Julia. And in the conclusion of that book, that was it, it, it shocked Julia. It made her angry. It made her upset. But ultimately, it convinced her uh, of, to, to realize what she was doing that was wrong. And, and exactly, it, it turns out to be that Beryl was the only person who loved Julia enough to point out, "Hey, you need to correct your life." And at the end of the book, she does. I'm sorry to spoil it, but hey, by the way, if you if you need a decent um, distraction while you're detoxing from uh, all, all the noise, that's a good book to read. Uh, it's a good book to read. Um, I there are some caveats that go along with it. Um, I'm I'm getting ready to write. I'm preparing to write another piece about Brideshead. Brideshead has done quite a lot of damage, um, especially in in Europe and you know to, and especially in the UK. Um, it Wa was a sodomite, um, and there's there's aspects of Brideshead that really come off as an apologia for his his years of active sodomy when he was um, at university and so forth. It's done, and Brideshead has done a lot of damage. But I wrote a piece um, a few years ago, and I, I made the point exactly what Super Nerd just made, that, in fact, the, the, I think I titled it, Beryl Muspratt is the true heroine of of Brideshead Revisited. And I had people telling me, no, 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 Lady Marchmain, she was the true heroine, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I just have to disagree with that because Lady Marchmain, by the way, was, was the mother of this family. Lady Marchmain um, subsidized her son in his life of sodomy. Um, the, the way that she dealt with these things was presumably, again, to turn a blind eye um, and to turn a blind eye to also the goings-on of her daughter and so forth. Um, I really don't see how you can argue that Lady Marchmain was the heroine. It was Beryl Muspratt, the, 
this this dumpy middle class woman as as Wa paints her, who is the one who stood up and planted that seed in Julia's mind that then bore fruit years later. Um, and that's the other thing you have to remember about dynamics like this. Okay, let's say that our reader who sent in that email, that he lays down the law um, and he tells these these sodomite women, I'm sorry, but we can we can no longer socialize with you. Here's why. Let me explain this to you. And he basically preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. It is it is almost certain that he is not going to get any positive response from these women. And he's probably not going to get positive response also from his family. You cannot be operating with the expectation of instantaneous results on these things. What you are looking to do is you are looking to plant the seeds of the gospel in these people's minds. And it may it may take decades, and these people might not repent of this until they're literally dying. And that could be many decades from now. God plays long ball. Um, we need to have that mindset, too, that, that we do what we have to do, but we cannot look at this as being some sort of a failure if these people do not fall on their knees and immediately say, take me to the nearest Catholic priest, I have to make a confession of all of this. Call the moving van. Um, we have to. We have to break up and live in in separate places. That, that's not. That's almost certainly not going to happen. We, that's well, we, not what your standard should be. You, we, you, but you have to preach the gospel. Go ahead. We mentioned the social math earlier that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. There's also the the it could it could be in a situation like this when you speak up, it could be addition by subtraction. You get ostracized from the family in a sense, and not that, not that we're recommending that. That would be bad, but you wouldn't be around this anymore. And it, not, not necessarily family, but, but your social acquaintances of, of, of uh, acquaintances you might have who are into vice and, and so forth. And one mm-hmm. other thing I, I, I wanted to mention real quick, you keep mentioning that the term uh, sin that cries out to heaven. There are four sins that the Catechism teaches or, that are sins that cry out to heaven. One is willful murder. That should pretty much go without saying. One is oppression of the poor. One is defrauding the laborers of their wages. Uh, uh, on this day of independence and uh, fractional reserve banking, we should top, come back to that one later. Uh, right. And, and, the, and, of course, the last one is the sin of sodomy. Yep. So these those, are, are the, those are the four, folks. Those it, are the four. It's, 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 not, it's not wasting food. It's not having a, um, a large carbon footprint. It's not any of these things, any of these things that anti-Pope Bergoglio and those, those wretches in the Vatican are talking about. They're trying, in fact, they're trying to move completely away from all of that. So willful, willful murder. They just ratified the willful murder of Charlie Gard. They, they just ratified willful murder. We know they're on board with sodomy. Um, they're Marxists. So talk about, talk about depriving the laborer of his just wage. These, these people are Marxist filth. That's what all of that is about. Um, and you know, I mean, everything is driven towards these four sins that cry out to heaven for God's vengeance. So, yeah, maybe maybe next week we can talk about um, Marxism and financial dynamics and banking and and uh, the Federal Reserve and all of this kind of stuff and talk about how exactly that is theft and depriving the worker of his just wage. 
the the point I was getting at though is that we use the term uh, "sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance." That's not just being eloquent or flowery. That is a specific category of sin that if you are guilty of these, there's like a minimum floor above which, if you don't save your soul, you are going to be deep in hell. Uh, yeah, you, you don't end up at the the, the top end of wrong, uh, top end of hell. If you if you know of of, of Christ and confess Christ or are baptized, you're already two thirds of the way down as the best best possible choice. If you don't make it to heaven. Right. And I think, I think it also is a commentary on, on dynamics in the world. Um, if these sins are sins that cry out to heaven for God's vengeance, what that is saying is that if, if a culture collectively engages in these sins on a large, organized basis, which clearly with, with the ratification of abortion, euthanasia, um, the ratification of sodomy, all of these financial crimes and so forth, our entire culture is just basically one big organized parad- paradigm of all four of the sins that cry out to heaven for God's vengeance. I think the word vengeance implies that that a people who engage in these sins should fully expect earthly consequences after after a certain period of time, and we don't know what that is. But I think it's very clear, and it cannot be argued, that God is extremely patient and extremely merciful and is giving this society now every possible chance to turn its back on these sins. And instead of doing that, we just keep, we just keep going further and further and further into them. I think it is absolutely foolish to think that there's never going to be any supernatural uh, consequences for any of this. And, and again, this ties back to Our Lady of Fatima. I think th- these concepts really do all all tie together. That there there will be earthly consequences for this, not and that which is which is minor, as Super Nerd just pointed out, to the consequences that you will that we will suffer eternally if we do not achieve the beatific vision and end up in in hell in torment. And I think it was a really good point that Super Nerd just made that the baptized hell is going to be far, far, far worse for the baptized um, than it will be for, for the unbaptized. Knowing, knowing that you had it, knowing that you, you had the beatific vision in the moments immediately after you were baptized, you're a clean slate, you're, you're cleansed from original sin, you had it, and then you willfully gave it up. That torment is why hell for the baptized will be so, so much worse and why the onus is on us and why it's so incredibly important for us to live this, live this faith, not just believe it, but live it and act on it and just do everything you can with an almost, with a frantic intensity to make sure that you make it, first of all, and to make sure that as many other people as, as humanly possible, make it to do everything you can with an almost frantic intensity. Absolutely. Cause you don't know when, when, uh, the, your, your time will come. Our Lord says, I come like the thief in the night. So be prepared right. at all times. Yep. Stay confessed folks. Stay confessed and fast and pray. Absolutely. Well, super nerd. I think that's probably, I think that's probably a show. What do you think? Um, I can go for another hour. You good? <laughs> well, let's do it next week. <laughs> all right. Until next week, I am Super Nerd. Oh, thank you all so much. God bless. Have a good week. <laughs>